0: Alright, all you movie junkies, it is time for the SLS cast with your hosts Matt and Tim. And welcome everyone, one and all, young and old, old and young, and all that other bullshit to. Episode 96 of the SLS cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is the Messier M96 episode of the SLS cast. Because Messier M96 is the brightest member of the Leo one group of galaxies, which is therefore also called the M96 group, and also includes M95, M105, as well as a number of fainter galaxies. With that wonderful little bit of universe knowledge, I of course am Matt, and I am Tim, and
1: I I I have a question for you that I've been meaning to ask for I some, have an answer for some time,
0: and I, I realized it could be I don't know, but it will be an answer.
1: <laughs> well, because I realize normally there is this period of time where we would drink alcohol during the show, and mm-hmm. for a while now I've been enjoying my beverage while recording is usually water and i've noticed you've been drinking a lot of tea now my question to you is what kind of tea are you drinking
0: uh just the simple unsweet decaffeinated kind the completely boring tea iced tea for whatever it's worth but yeah
1: can we, totally can we just restart the beginning again? I wasn't expecting the boring tea. I thought it was going to be like, oh, I'm drinking some, I don't know, mystic herb from Taiwan that I have flown
0: <laughs> over here by... Yeah, buddy, <laughs> you've been to my house. <laughs> you've seen me. I got kids, bills, school. Do you think I can afford mystic fucking tea from Thailand? I can't even afford to go into the freaking... Uh, Tivana thing at the mall and get an iced tea from there. Tivana, yeah, it's like tea. Instead of like Nirvana, it's like Tivana or something. Yeah, is it yeah, seriously like tea? They're they're doing a playoff. Yeah, yeah of that's nirvana. their thing. It's it's all you know. It's like the Starbucks of tea. They have amazing tea sets and things that you can buy, and so you can make your tea. And these are special herbal teas that. It came from some conflict-free region of the Congo or wherever they wanted to grow this particular tea. Um, They have this one tea. It's like this cherry kind of tea, and it's like badass. I've had that a couple of times, but yeah, they have it. Hmm. Tea Vana.
1: So how was your week? Did Did you do anything fun and exciting?
0: Uh, no. Just cramming for tests. We've got midterms and stuff going, and uh, losing my mind. Too much stuff going on. Stressing out.
1: Well, I sure as shit do not miss doing any of that stuff.
0: Yeah, I I won't miss it either.
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel bad in saying that I had a pretty
0: entertaining week. No, you don't have to feel bad. Tell us. Regale us, if you will. Favor us, even. With... stories of your fun week
1: well it all started on saturday when we decided to go to a bar to enjoy a two and a half to three hour long baseball game it was the giants versus the uh washington uh, uh, red red yellow back skins whatever no uh washington nationals yeah that's our baseball team washington nationals the non-offensive washington team and the Nationals were gonna, were gonna win. It was one to zero until the ninth inning, and the Giants came and tied the bitch up, and the game went on for another nine freaking innings. It was tied for nine freaking innings. They basically played two games, a six and a half to seven hour game. That is insane. Now, to be fair, I we didn't stay for the entire. Game we left pretty much the bottom of the ninth inning because uh, we uh, we ended up getting uh, well we didn't get anybody could show up but at the Egyptian Theater which was just right down the street from where we were uh, watching the game uh, they were doing a screening of the the brand new remake of the the town that dreaded sundown and this is a Blumhouse. Uh, pictures movie. These are the guys that do the paranormal activities, the insidiouses. You know the James Wan horror films, and also uh, the guy who Ryan Murphy, who's best known for American Horror Story now. Uh, he was a producer of this movie, and so we thought, hell man, this is awesome. This is a cool experience. He gets to go see a, a, a screening of of a cool horror movie in October, or what you think is going to be a cool horror movie in October. And they did a and a which wasn't that all exciting, but, you know, whatever. And uh, so that was fun. Yeah, I got to see The Town That Dreaded Sundown. And I got to say, Matt, so the movie doesn't open up till October 16th. I am very interested in your review of that movie because I think it could be another hobo with a shotgun.
0: I'm sure that our uh, special listener is clamoring for blood at this point since, you know, we haven't really... Gone at each other's throats in quite some time, so to speak.
1: Oh, that kind of clamoring for blood. So let's say we're about to talk about uh, Dario Gento movies, which has a lot of blood <laughs> in it.
0: <laughs> yes, they, yes, they yes they do. But
1: uh, yeah, with that in traffic, you know there was traffic today. Joe Biden was in town, so not as much traffic as if there was, you know, if, if Obama was in town, President Obama, which is kind of sad. Or VP Biden doesn't cause that much traffic. Sad face. That's
0: actually a good thing, right?
1: It's a good thing for me, but you kind of wonder if that does something to his character. It's like, oh god, I want to, I want to cause traffic jams. I want to be that popular. I mean, that does. I wonder if that means that he doesn't have that much security on him,
0: which could be could be a thing. Nah, maybe probably not. I mean, you got to remember that the VP is overall just a figurehead he's there to break ties in the senate he is there to step in in the event of the death or the incapacitation of the president and other than that he's just there to uh do whatever the president says hey go make this speech make me look good okay that's pretty much it um i think in terms of not affecting the common man so much with said dignitary duties and everything actually probably makes him more favorable uh, because he's not impacting people's lives as much. He's not making people late for work. He's not tying up things till the end of the world. And just like when most vice presidents make some kind of gaffe or some kind of uh, issue that arises, they're generally more likable because their position is not... In really, in, in any kind of seriousness, to be taken. So, eh, I think he does just fine.
1: We didn't need your logic right now, Matt. <laughs>
0: <laughs> fine. Leslie Nope loves him. Does that help? <laughs> I don't really you know. Oh, that's true. She does. i got to get back into watching that show. Got to get to it. It's the last 13 episodes. Ever? This is the final season. Really? Yep. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. It is, now that Chris Pratt is becoming
1: a, a thing now, or has become a thing...
0: I'm telling you what, yeah. JP4, JP4, just wait.
1: Apparently he bolted <laughs> up for that uh, that flick.
0: It, it wasn't for uh, Guardians of the Galaxy?
1: Well, I mean, he he kind of looked the same-ish in Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, he definitely uh, I oh,
0: mean, toned out. Toned you gotta out look at some before and afters, man. They've got some stuff from like Season 3, Season 4 uh-huh. of Parks and Rec, and... It's like someone. It, it, I mean, it's like someone took Chris Pratt of today and had him swallow the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. Oh well, yeah, seriously. It's because he he Homeboy made money. Was, He's Homeboy making was money. heavy. Yeah, he can afford Homeboy a personal trainer. Heavy. That's right. Or I can't afford it so. to work out. There you go. Yeah.
1: All right. So. Fun and exciting things, I gotta tell you. Fun
0: and exciting things. Yeah, this is definitely. I'm sure people are not nodding off at this point. I no. I, I guess shall we go ahead and get to the to the to the news then? The manews. The manews. Menomina Dun <laughs> dun dun dun. Manu manu. News. News. <laughs> That's the new intro. Didn't you know?
1: Oh, it worked. (laughs) I guess it is now.
0: (laughs) All right, for real, here we go. It's the news! So, do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? Uh, lead it off. All right. I've uh, got a just a mess of stories here, all about sequels and, uh, yeah, well, really, yeah, just pretty much sequels. All right. So, we've got a pair of stories here. One was a uh, badass digest from the tail end of September saying, rumoring that there's a part for William Shatner in Star Trek 3. But will he do the cameo? And they were going back and forth. Uh, that was Devin Farassi who came out with that first. And then all of a sudden, it's followed up from comicbookboovie.com, courtesy of Nailbiter111. William Shatner confirms Star Trek Three cameo has been offered. Yeah, this look—I I don't really have much to say about this. As far as I'm concerned, if they put—if they just want to put the nail in the coffin of this trilogy in terms of complete unoriginality and bullshit, ah, eh, fine, fuck it, whatever. They've already got the money; they've got my money anyway. Uh, so whatever. Who cares if they dashed all the hopes of anybody who wanted to actually have an original thing happening with this series of movies. So, yeah, sure. Good for them. Go William Shatner. And it's not like against William Shatner. I, I personally think he's, you know, re- really funny. Um, he was nice the one time I met him uh, in real life. And, um, you know, whatever. So go for it. I just think it's kind of a shame if they were going to do it they should have done it in the first one and there were rumors that he had an opportunity but screwed that up i don't know so anyways uh so that's that for the star trek uh three movie turns Wait, out when you meet Scott, william shatner oh gosh at a star trek convention in portland oregon in 97 really i think yeah did you dress up do you have a picture where of you wearing a, uh, a Starfleet no, outfit? I have never dressed I have never dressed up really I am not that kind of a fan. I don't do the cosplay I've never done the cosplay don't see myself doing any cosplay in the future. I am a fan of the movies and the universe as a whole um, I like the geeky stuff in terms of comic book movies and sci-fi stuff and things like that but no not I don't go that road.
1: If there was one thing that you would consider cosplaying, what would
0: it be? Oh, golly gee. Does Peter Griffin count? I think I could cosplay him pretty good.
1: How about characters that people actually cosplay? Like, it's like a thing to cosplay.
0: Oh, my goodness. Um, I don't, okay, well, there's... I can't think of the guy's name, but uh, one, there's this one really funny guy in the bleach anime series and he's got a mason chain as as his specialized weapon and i always wanted to be him if i could have been him so i just can't think of his name it's been so long since i've seen it but yeah i would probably do that guy from bleach people who watch the anime will probably know who i'm referring to and
1: Next year, Matt. Next Uh, year at the Comic-Con in Dallas is your year to cosplay.
0: (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. But at any rate, no, I met him... Let's see. I met him in... Okay, so my buddy Jeff, his sister worked at the Marriott that this thing was at. And she was like in guest service or something like that and so we got to get in free because of his sister letting us in through like you know the back doors or whatever and we were just doing our thing wandering around whatever and then when we were going out we went out the back area to like the loading dock section um and we were outside smoking a cigarette uh and this guy comes over and says hey how's it going so i said hey how's it going and then he leans over to Jeff and says, hey, can I get a light? And so Jeff says, sure. And then it's at that point that it dawns on us that this guy looks familiar. And we look over and it's, and it's William Shatner. So, yeah, got to smoke a cigarette with William Shatner.
1: Nice. Yeah. That is the least geekiest... <laughs> <laughs> like, meet and greet that I think has probably ever happened <laughs> at one of those Comic-Cons or one of those yeah.
0: conventions. So, yeah, you know, like I said, so it was nice then. I mean, I, I was very impressed with myself for not geeking out, all, you know, but uh, and maintaining my cool. But uh, <laughs> For yeah.
1: some reason, I can see you going like, hey, uh, I know you're smoking that uh, that Swisher Sweet, but can you sign my boob?
0: No, th- I was still young and thin and good looking back then. This was 97. This was almost 20 years ago. I didn't have the man boobs to sign then, back then.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. That's kind of something you want to ask him. Like, have you ever signed a man boob?
0: <laughs> I'm pretty sure the answer is no. Yeah,
1: if we ever get to ask, interview famous people, or whatever on the show, that has got to be one of the one of the James Lipton questions we have to ask every single guest. Have you ever signed a man boob? See what they say? Sure. Okay. Okay, carry on. Carry on
0: before I say something else. (laughs) (laughs) Microphone mute. Nice. Okay, Uh, let's see here. From uh, uk.yahoo.com, or basically Yahoo Movies UK, uh, courtesy of Ben Falk, Ridley Scott updates on Prometheus 2 and Blade Runner sequel. This was an exclusive for them uh let's see here so um they were talking about him about all the stuff he has going on but then they say while he may have while he may be in the midst of pre-production on the martian starring matt damon work on the second prometheus movie is also well underway quote right now as we speak it's being written i've had 15 drafts evolving i definitely want to do that again because i really enjoyed doing prometheus end quote there um Let's see here. Now, this also ties into another article from Nailbiter111, courtesy uh, courtesy of Nailbiter111, at comicbookmovie.com, where he says Xenomorphs won't be in Prometheus' sequel. Um, yep, going back, jumping back to the uh, Who article. The Beast is done. Cooked. Quote, the Beast is uncooked. I got lucky meeting Geiger all those years ago. It's very hard to repeat that. I just happened to be the one who forced it through because they said it's obscene. They didn't want to do it, and I said I want to do it. It's fantastic. But after four movies, I think it wears out a little bit. There's only so much snarling you can do. I think you've got to come back with something more interesting. And I think we found the next step. I thought the engineers were quite a good start. End quotes there. So, yeah. Um... it's pretty crazy. And he also said that he met with, in the same article, he met with Harrison Ford about Blade Runner 2 the night before Harrison Ford hurt his ankle. (laughs) So there is apparently actual, some kind of traction on that when you've got the director talking to the star. Uh, Let me see here. Um... From UsMagazine.com or Us Weekly, courtesy of Esther Lee and Charles Thorpe. Super Trooper sequel confirmed. Mustaches will return, says Steve Lemmy. Brace yourselves for more laughs. There will be a sequel to 20- 2001's beloved comedy Super Troopers, and Us Weekly exclusively spoke to Steve Lemmy, one of the film stars and member of Broken Lizard, for more scoop on the movie. Okay, let's see here. Without revealing the plot of Super Troopers 2, Lemmy, 45, uh, had this to say, quote, I think it's one of the more unique and interesting stories I've seen in a while, but the movie picks up pretty much where we left off in the first one. It's a few years later. The biggest difficulty was trying to top that opening scene, which so many people have complimented us on. I think we've done it. So, I don't know, um... Yeah, I've got uh, one last one that's kind of sad, uh, unfortunately here. Or at least to the chagrin of Tim. From CNN.com courtesy of Todd Leopold. 23 Jump Street is a go. Yeah. It I mean, it's just basically saying that it's happening. There's no other details other than it's been officially greenlit. So, any, any—that's and that's all the sequel news that I have right there for you, covering all those wonderful sequel things. Tim, do you have anything that you'd like to jump in on about 23 Jump Street or the next Super Troopers or perhaps Xenomorphs not being in the next Prometheus movie or your thoughts on people conversing about a Blade Runner sequel, or maybe Shatner's appearance in the third movie, the third Star Trek movie. No. All right. Well, then go ahead and (laughs) lay it on us, sir. I don't really have much to say about it either. I just, I mean, these things are happening, the traction is there, and I'm I'm not sure what to make of it, other than... Yeah, it's just
1: all... I mean, I've mentioned this before. It's just all freaking hearsay. I mean, not hearsay, but like, how many to- How many? How often have we heard of them making somebody making a sequel or a follow up to the movie? And they're- they always say, "Oh, it's gonna be, it's gonna top the last movie, or this is gonna be better, or this is gonna be the best," and yada yada yada. And it underperforms, you know. And that's why I hope Super Troopers two is as good or possibly even better than the first one. And I have to admit, I mean, the the opening of Super Troopers is brilliant. I mean, you can watch it multiple times and still get a kick out of it. First off, for me, Robert Downey Jr. gave an exclusive interview to Deadline where they talked about him turning 50 years old, his current wife. Uh, He has a little baby now. Uh, and it's a good, like uh, I think, like a ten-page article here, and it's quite interesting. But I do want to mention a, a few things that, unfortunately, pertain to Iron Man Four. But it's very, it's it's just very interesting. And I hope this is something again. I mean, this is even hearsay. But two things that you would never expect to hear in the same sentence or put together. And now that you've heard it, you will want it to happen. And I'll get there in a second. But it says this deadline. I uh, had this to say, I've read you said that you don't want to do another Iron Man for, though it seems smart business to keep that franchise character beachhead even just for the Avengers installments. But you've made your fortune, and you're an artist. What is your relationship with Iron Man going forward? Robert Downing. That's all being talked about on a bunch of different levels right now. To me, it comes down to what's the half-life of people enjoying a character. It's different on TV, where you expect the longevity over seasons while movies get a two- to three-year break. Marvel keeps stepping up its game, and I appreciate the way that Kevin Feige and all the creatives there think. They are as in the creative wheelhouse as any great studio has been at any point. So it becomes a matter of, at what point do I cease to be an asset to what they're doing? And at what point do I feel I am spending so much time either shooting or promoting these films that I'm not actually able to get off the beachhead and do the kind of other stuff that is good for all of us? Each one of those movies is spread over two years, and some people fit other things in. But I'm not 42. I'm turning 50, and now I'll have two small kids instead of one grown one, and eight Team downy projects with people who are imagining I'm just spending Warner Brothers money out of vanity. But that I'm taking it seriously. It all has become this thing that has to be figured out. It has come to a head right now, where the points of departure will be. Deadline. We have written often suggesting that Mel Gibson be given another chance in Hollywood after atoning for the regrettable things he said a while back when studios were reluctant to hire you and there were exorbitant insurance premiums he put you in a movie took care of all that and helped you when you needed it as hollywood's best example that not giving up on a talented person can result in redemption can you make a case for why he should be back directing and starring in movies again Well, first off, this is Downey, he has changed so much. Nobody should make a case for somebody who just wants forgiveness but hasn't changed. But he's a fundamentally different guy. I think it was just the very worst aspects of people's psyche being treated as though they were the blanket statement about a person. But honestly, we are talking about a competitive business, and all it comes down to is this. Because he is so gifted as a storyteller and a director, I don't know that he requires some sort of mass forgiveness. He has changed, but at the same time, he's still Mel. And he and I are so similar in so many ways rob downey jr goes on from there and he ends that little paragraph with uh we're writing this thing right now yucatan deadline then says that's the project steve mcqueen developed for himself downey yes and i'm like god if i could find a part for mel but he also likes to do his own thing and sometimes he goes out of his way to do the unexpected sometimes with these things it becomes a matter of time and it seems like it's getting a little bit old to hold a grudge deadline true but the year he made Apocalypto, I didn't see a better movie, and he was ignored and hasn't directed since. Marvel badly wants Iron Man 4, and you said that you aren't doing it. How about the idea you'll do that movie if Mel directs? Downey. Correct. Deadline. Is that our headline? Downey. Why not? The movie would be Bananas. End all quotes. What do you think, Matt? Would you like to see a Mel Gibson-directed Iron Man 4? Sure, absolutely. I would watch that. There you have it. Do it, Mel. Be interesting. <laughs> do it! Do it now! I mean, I would rather see you do other things, but I mean, if it's a good script, and I'd take part issue with some of this. Well, then again, him teaming with Robert Downey is a cool thing, because... Robert Downey Jr. has a lot of say. So with these movies, like if he doesn't if he doesn't like anything, he has the power to change things within you know within reason. So I think if Mel Gibson was going to direct a Marvel movie, I think Iron Man four would be a good one for him because you know Robert Downey would watch his back and all that jazz.
0: All right, let me do quick two quick little blurbs here for you. Uh, from DenverPost.com, courtesy of Lisa Kennedy and Aldo Svaldi. Quentin Tarantino is set to shoot Hateful Eight in Colorado. The state has blessed a five million dollar incentive package to help bring production of writer-director Quentin Tarantino's eighth feature film to southwestern Colorado in December. Well, so that ties in with them, I guess, beginning shooting in January, which is nice. So there's that for you. If you were wondering where that's going to be filmed, now you know. And then from Deadline.com, courtesy of Pete Hammond, Steve Martin to receive AFI Life Achievement Award. Yes, Steve Martin has been named recipient of the highly prestigious AFI Life Achievement Award to be presented June 4th. And aired on TNT and later on Sister Network TCM. So I guess this is all coming next year. But hey, at least you know it's coming, right? You've got about eight eight months or so to, to get this <laughs> worked out. Um, yeah, I think this is really cool. I, and I personally think if any comedic person um, deserves it, especially to one to follow up Mel Brooks... I think Steve Martin definitely fits that bill. Would you agree there? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm
1: kind of surprised it took him this long to honor Mel Brooks and Steve Martin.
0: Well, I think that they do definitely did the right order, though. It's been too long. It was too long for both of them, but I'm glad that they that they got Mel Brooks first and then Steve Martin. Oh yeah. So yeah, definitely. All right. Well, what do you have, sir?
1: All right. Okay. Next up for me, um, we all like Christopher Nolan. Uh, his new movie, Interstellar, is coming out,
0: and uh, Matt, don't you agree? It, it looks awesome. It's going to be epic. That that much is certain.
1: That is for sure. It's definitely one of those movies you have to watch it on a big screen. And uh, another interesting thing about Chris Nolan that some of you might know, especially if you listen to the show, him and Martin Scorsese really pushing uh, to keep film widely available in the entertainment industry because they feel that, well, I mean, it's not a movie unless you view it in 35mm. If it's an IMAX, you have to watch it in 70 millimeter and uh, all that jazz. Well, he's taking all of that uh, a step further. He's trying to take the viewership of film in his own hands by releasing his new film, Interstellar, two days early... In theaters that show movies in 35 millimeter and/or 70 millimeter, and that means all those small mom-pop movie houses. Uh, this I don't want to call it not indie movie houses, but just the smaller movie houses that had to spend a movie in in and drive-in movie theaters as well. Can't forget those. Spent all this money, thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars or maybe less than $100,000, unless there's multiple screens and hundreds of thousands of dollars, to upgrade their film projectors to digital projectors, and now they're going to be missing out on the first two days of the opening of a major event motion picture because they upgraded. They did what they were supposed to do because... Everybody else was doing it. And it was the new thing. It was the new technology. And, you know, I'm a guy who, or I am definitely one who is a, uh, you know, I support film. I support Kodak. I support the use of film, the project, you know, making movies on film itself. I like the idea of it being on something physical than it being, you know, a bunch of, uh, you know, like gigabytes uh, terabytes of information on a hard drive and then store it on a computer and it doesn't really even touch film but this is definitely taking it a little too far you're biting off the hand of the people that you should be working with that you should be helping out i mean you look at tarantino you look at chris nolan who grew up going to go going to these multiplexes and these smaller movie theaters i'm sure well those are those very same movie theaters and i'm not talking about amc or Cinemark or Lowe's or Regal Cinemas, Uh, they can afford, you know, to have film camera film projectors and digital projectors. But all these small ones, these boutique movie theaters that I love. In Houston you got River Oaks. Over here, well in LA you can you know, a lot of lot of theaters can afford it. But even around California, in different parts of California, small old classic movie theaters that, you know, are now digital projection well, they're missing out. So that's kind of a bummer. Because I said all that, I'm not going to read the whole article. The article uh, that I got this information from is entitled Why Theater Owners Aren't Happy About Christopher Nolan's Interstellar Film Initiative. It was written by Pamela McClintock. You should definitely check that one out. Uh, But I will read one quote from a theater owner, Joe Paletta, the CEO and founder of Spotlight Theaters, he says that, quote, this devalues what we've done. I can't afford to get the projectors out of the warehouse for two days and I don't even have anyone to operate them. End quote.
0: There you go. Alright, well I'm going to go ahead and wrap up my news with uh, some interesting information from horror-movies.ca It's labeled as horror-movies.ca, but I like to make sure people know where the address is. Yeah, courtesy of Jason McDonald, I Am Legend Reboot in the works. Well, it would seem that Warner Brothers thinks the world is ready for more legendary action. Deadline is reporting that Warner Brothers is pushing forward with an I Am Legend Reboot after acquiring a script from an entirely different project. This one took an interesting path to production. Here's how it went down according to Deadline. Quote, Warner is retrofitting A Garden at the End of the World, a spec script that the studio bought back in April from Gary Graham, who was working at the Apple store in Midtown Manhattan when he posted his script on the Blacklist website and got the attention of CAA and manager Brooklyn Weaver. End quote. Graham's script was described as a sci-fi version of John Wayne's classic film, The Searchers. However, as Warner Brothers executives started comparing Graham's script to the I Am Legend property, they realized that they could use his story as a platform for a reboot of the property, provided, of course, that he made a couple of adjustments to his story. What do you think, Tim? Cool? Good idea? Bad idea? Should they just go back and just do the damn book? Or... Do you like how this is kind of coming together to make for a very interesting film?
1: It's cool. I mean, I like the idea of, you know, just a normal guy wrote a script and it got picked up and, you know, he now has an agent. So a fresh take on handling stale properties.
0: Right on. Okay.
1: Well, that wraps up the news for me, sir. I do want to mention one more thing because it'll be oldish by next week i'm sure there's gonna be more to it uh but it's netflix we talked about a couple or last week that uh netflix did a deal to uh to distribute the new crouching tiger hidden dragon sequel and that pissed off a whole lot of theater owners well within a week after announcing the uh the partnership between netflix and the weinstein company they also announced that they were going to have a partnership with Adam Sandler and Happy Madison Films where they were going to distribute four Adam Sandler movies. And this is an article entitled, Netflix's Ted Sarandos Explains Adam Sandler Crouching Tiger Deals Putting Our Money Where Our Mouth Is. This is written by Greg Kildy. And this is a THR, the Hollywood Reporter, dot com article. It's another media article, and... It's a really good article, so I'm just going to paraphrase or just go over a few things real quick since we're running out of time. On September 29th, he announced a deal with the Weinstein Company to finance the sequel, The Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, The Green Legend, which will premiere on Netflix and IMAX theaters on August 28th, 2015. The backlash from theater owners arrived swiftly, with exhibition giants regal AMC theaters and Cinemark saying that they wouldn't show the film on their own IMAX screens. Then, the following day, Sarandos announced an even more ambitious pact, a deal to make four starring and produced by Adam Sandler, movies. All four movies will debut exclusively on Netflix. Having dropped these two bombshells, Sarandos explains how Netflix's growing global imprint has influenced the decision to begin producing original movies, Why Sandler was willing to forgo theatrical release for the films and how exhibitors resisting change have all reacted in lockstep. So why did you approach Adam Sandler? The more global we become, the more access we have to global behavior data so we can see what people are watching all around the world. It's just a good article. Yeah, just check it out. Again, Netflix's Ted Sarandos explains Adam Sandler Crouching Tiger Deals, putting our money where our mouth is. Uh, they go into detail about why they chose uh, Adam Sandler, why they approached Adam Sandler. And they also mentioned something interesting uh, where they asked him if it's just going to be four adam sandler comedies or they're going to do some drama as well and sarando said that we anticipate they will be adam sandler comedies we'd absolutely be very open and thrilled if he wants to make more serious roles in some of the projects and could extend beyond the four films to accommodate some of those films as well which is pretty cool But the article ends on something kind of interesting here. They say that there's a general consensus that movies on Netflix and other pays services are old because they are. So for us to meaningfully move the window up to where consumers want to see a movie, we have to step into producing content of our own. Similarly, as how we did with House of Cards, when we wanted to release all episodes at the same time. We couldn't have done that with an off-net show. By doing this, we are putting our money where our mouth is on behalf of the customer. So, are there more movie deals that you're about to announce? Sarandos, concluding. We have a few others in the pipeline now in various states. The typical output deal from a studio is 10 to 14 movies a year. Instead of going down the path of another traditional output deal, we wanted to do things in terms of that volume. But that would get to the screen much quicker for consumers. End all quotes.
0: I don't know if it's past its prime to have Adam Sandler doing it, but I imagine with the home video market a la Netflix now basically being like the new direct-to-DVD market, I'm sure it'll do fine. So, I guess it is now time for our next segment, which is, of course, Did It Age Well?
2: Now, a motion picture so grand oh. so magnificent and so vast it spans 7,000 years no way. way
1: yes way
2: but it starts with Bill
1: I'm Bill S. Preston
2: was Joan of Arc and Ted
1: Noah's wife we are in danger of flunking most heinously
3: tomorrow
2: a force from the future
3: can we go anywhere we want at any time you can do anything you want
2: is putting history at their fingertips
3: let's reach out and touch someone
2: they're traveling through time.
3: How's it going, royal ugly dudes? Put them in the Iron Maiden. Excellent! Execute them. Bogus. How's, it How's it going, going dude?
2: And they're making a big impression. Historical babes. Now they're home. Buddy, get together, remember who your
3: buddy is.
2: To trash. The 20th century.
3: We got a live one here.
2: Keanu Reeves. Alex Winter. Napoleon. We're from history. Billy the Kid. Oh my God. Joan of Arc. Sigmund Freud. Tell me about your mother.
1: New you musician? Beethoven. Genghis Khan!
2: <clears throat> Abraham Lincoln. Party on, dudes! Socrates. George Carlin. We're history.
1: If you guys are really us, what number are we thinking of?
2: 69, dudes! <gasps> Bill and Ted's
0: Excellent! Excellent! Excellent Adventure.
2: Party
3: on, dude.
0: Yes. Alright, so this time we are covering... Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, the 1989 American sci-fi comedy buddy flick, and the first film in the Bill and Ted franchise. All right, so basically this movie takes place uh, 700 years in the future. Uh, 2688, humanity has evolved to appreciate the music of the wild stallions, and... uh, basically emulate anything all of their positive music and messages uh, to create an entirely excellent society now this is definitely one of those things where you you have to uh, suspend all reality and even suspension of the suspension of disbelief you have to suspend your suspension of disbelief because this thing is literally a walking fucking vortex of uh oh what's the um paradoxes okay um yeah The Wild Stallions, of course, and the reason why I say it is because they have to save the Wild Stallions from being separated before they can ever really take off. Um, Because they're going to separate Bill and Ted by having, because Ted's dad's going to send Ted to military school. Ted, of course, played by uh, Keanu Reeves and Bill being played by Alex Winter. Um, So Ted's dad's going to send him off to military school if he fails his year uh, at school, and they're gonna fail their entire year uh, unless they can get an A plus in their history presentation for the school. They are then given by the benevolent George Carlin a time traveling phone booth where they are with which they are able to go and collect historical personas and then use them to present. And this, of course, is now the complete misadventures of how they go about doing so and the results of their doing so. Now, this is definitely one of my favorite movies from kiddom, as it were. I was just a young lad of 12 when this movie came out. Actually, I wasn't even 12 yet when this movie came out. Um, And I did enjoy it. I thought it was funny. Um, I I definitely wanted to grow up to be as cool as the Wild Stallions because, you know, I was 11, and that's what you think of as cool. And so I didn't realize just exactly how badly this movie aged. Because 37-year-old me is not quite as pleased with this movie as 11-year-old me was. Um, It's got its charms, no doubt. It's still a very cute movie. Uh, Overall, pretty family-friendly even as well. So, I mean, if you wanted to impart this onto your kids, then, hey, you know, have some fun with it. Why not? Um, They would probably get a kick out of it, but this movie simply did not age well. The special effects, uh, not even special the special effects, were pretty good, but the sets, everything about this just screams '80s, and not in the good way. It's it's like a caricature of what people in the '80s thought the future was going to look like, and then on top of which you have got this awkward pacing, weird silences. Uh, It's just, it just doesn't, doesn't do it for me today. I'm sorry. I think it's a nice trip down memory lane, but honestly, I would not take the trip unless you've got kids that you're willing to enjoy through their eyes. Outside of that, keep it a fond memory. This did not age well.
1: Yeah, I will have to agree for sure. Bogus Journey will be very interesting to talk about sometime in the near future also. Because of what I remember of Bogus Journey, I remember I enjoyed that one uh much more than the first one. But I, I really don't know what... Other than the movie isn't funny... At least now it's not funny. I mean, the special effects are good. Watching it in high def now, I mean, the movie looks good. It has cool colors to it. As far as eye candy, it's okay. I mean, I, I, that's why if I were to give this movie a rating, I wouldn't completely hate it. I think I missed the boat. You know, I, this is one of those movies where if you had, if you watched it when you were younger, and you would watch it a lot of times, and you could quote it and all that jazz. You can still probably enjoy it now because you have the nostalgic factor as a crutch. It's charming at times. You got these likable characters, and it's an interesting story, and you can tell that they were meaning well. Also, like what Matt said, it's good for families to watch, kids can enjoy it. It just gets old. There's the occasional chuckle, but there's not enough entertainment or laughs as there should have been it seems like at the time the effects and the kind of like uh, the pop culture references you know like the california living references the suburban california living references uh just were, were probably enough for the audience to get past the story issues and the pacing issues because back in the day everybody went to water parks uh, the mall was the thing, so the idea of all of these historical figures being all together in the first place they go is a mall or a water park would have been really funny in 1988. That was probably the shit. But now it's like, a water park? I don't go to no water park. My swimming pool's a water park. You know, just stuff like that. You just, it, it doesn't carry on to now. As much as I actually would, I wouldn't i would mind if it did, to be honest. But when it comes down to it, I think I missed the nostalgia boat. It has long passed, and there is no getting on it. I can see it off in the distance, and it's sinking, and I'm not on it. Again, what Matt said, bad pacing, and they're strange, awkward. You get that waiting around feeling until something next happens. But the next thing that happens isn't enough to really drag you along into a most excellent adventure, unfortunately. So I did not think that Bill and Ted's excellent adventure
0: aged well. Well there you go. So it sounds like neither one of us believed that Bill and Ted's excellent adventure aged well. Alright, so that concludes Did It Age Well? And next week we're gonna be having a discussions with Matt and Tim or masterpiece discussion whichever one you like um we're going to be covering the block but it's an article on blockbuster video tim why don't you go ahead and tell us what it is the
1: article is from yahoo movies published on september 17th 2014 written by ethan alter and it is entitled life after blockbuster catching up with the owner of some of the last remaining blockbuster video stores and i know what you're thinking There are, in fact, blockbusters around.
0: Right on. Well, that'll be fun then. We can cover those uh, next week. I look forward to discussing that. All right, so that brings us to the (laughs) movie. So, the movies this week. We went to the movie theater and saw Gone Girl. And then we covered some Italian horror movies. Courtesy of the director, Dario Argento. So, we had uh, Tenebrae, Deep Red, and Suspiria. Do, where do we want to go first? Do we want to do Gone Girl first or do we want to do the horror movies first? Oh, Gone Girl. All right. Gone Girl is coming up first. Now, this, of course, is the latest release. It is a... Uh, it's an American, 2014, of course, American mystery thriller film. It's directed by David Fincher and stars Ben Affleck and Rosamund Pike. This is a movie. It is based on a novel of the same name uh, by an author named Gillian Flynn, and the novel is from 2012. the um, The movie does deviate from the novel. I have not read the novel, so I'm not exactly sure where. Uh, This movie covers... Very slightly, very slightly. Okay, Uh, my my wife actually with her book club, uh, they did this book uh, two months ago. And so she was really interested to hear what I thought about the movie. And I've got lots and lots of good things to say about it. Now, this movie covers... Uh, It does a really good job of talking about media... And how it portrays the reality of things that happen. As well as what marriages really look like from the outside versus how they are from the inside. And it centers around the disappearance of Rosa, uh, uh, Rosamund Pike's character. Uh, and she her, her character's Amy. Uh, because her husband... uh, her husband Nick, played by Ben Affleck, is the chief suspect in her disappearance. Now, you can't really say much more about the plot without giving it away. So I am, as you guys know, I'm a very spoiler-free kind of guy when I do my reviews. However, for those history buffs out there, And if you're worried that you might even know by accident, I need you to simply mute for about three or four seconds here. I'm going to give you a second here to mute. Ready? Mute. Now, if you haven't muted yet, this parallels a similar true life story regarding Agatha Christie. Okay, so welcome back for those of you who muted. Now, I got to say, there is only one... Flaw, in my particular humble opinion, to this movie, and that is the character of Desi Collins, played by Neil Patrick Harris. He seems, he is a very pivotal character to the movie. And I would assume, therefore, in the book. However, the way that Neil Patrick Harris plays this, I don't buy his. I, I don't. I don't buy him being in the position that he is in this movie. For those of you who don't, who haven't seen the movie yet, I, I just I can't be any more specific than that. For those of you who have seen the movie, I think you'll understand what I mean he doesn't come across as someone who is able to be in the position that he is and i think that that is both a failure of neil patrick harris in his interpretation of the character and to a somewhat lesser degree david finch's david fincher's uh fault because of him directing that and, 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 and letting that shine through instead of seeming awkward and indifferent and cold, which is how this character is meant to be portrayed. He, it's almost like it's an, it's a, it's like this weird dance between indifferent awkward cold and controlling manipulative and very precise and that doesn't fit especially given with the situation of that character from the beginning and how that character's resolution is handled in the film that being said it's still good and Neil Patrick Harris's acting is really good in this film. I just it's just the interpretation of the character for me really kind of broke the believability and kind of s- sapped me from being as invested into the movie and kind of allowed me a chance in the film to step back and kind of look at what was going on. In a critical way, not in a, oh my gosh, what's happening next or how is this going to work out, which is what you really want out of a thriller. So, cinematography, really good. Nothing There's nothing super, super uh, special about it, but I think that that is also one of the things that uh, is pleasant about it because it is more a character study than it is a study in the beauty of the scenery and all that kind of stuff um great acting and really good performances especially by the character of margo played by carrie coon Uh, she plays nick's twin sister in this film and i was really blown away by her performance the only other thing i would have to say and i don't know if this is necessarily just a flaw of the story but the end of the movie has a couple of conveniences that occur in the way certain characters allow the story to reach its denouement. And then, but it, it still ends up closing out in the final frames amazingly. Those two things aside, I gotta give this movie 4.75. It is a nearly perfect film. I really and truly, really, 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 really liked it. Could not recommend this enough to anyone who is at all interested in seeing this style of movie or questioning whether or not Ben Affleck has the chops to do any kind of acting that he wants to do. And that's it. That's it. 4.75. Take it away, Tim. Wow,
1: cool. David Fincher is is one of the most reliable directors in Hollywood. Minus Alien 3, virtually every single movie he has done... Is fresh on the tomato meter on RottenTomatoes.com. That says something. He has a distinctive flair, and he creates this this Fincher atmosphere and this tone, and it, it's fantastic. Whenever you watch watches movies, and you would think something like that if somebody has a distinct tone or uh, or or aesthetic that they put in every single one of their movies which can easily be related back to the director. You think that could get old after a while, or it would just be repetitive, but you know what? It, it doesn't at all. You watch Seven, gritty movie, but you know what's a Fincher movie? You watch Zodiac, dramatic, suspenseful, mystery movie, but yet it's still a uh, a Fincher movie. Same goes with Fight Club, His his smaller, more dramatic movies. You have The Social Network, to three years ago with The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. You know, just Fincher has this way of directing movies that grabs you by the balls and doesn't let you go. The movie can be two and a half hours long, the movie can be three hours long, and you are completely absorbed into what is happening on the screen. And that that is how I was with this movie. This movie is nearly two and a half hours long, and I easily could have sat in that movie theater for another... 30 minutes and watch some more wonderfulness <laughs> the movie is tense it doesn't let up in the way that uh, that most of these movies that you would want it to you, you don't want this movie to let up you're just entranced you're captivated by the score that is composed by Nine Inch Nels's Trent Reznor and Atticus Finch who also did Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and Social Network and they were nominated for Academy Awards for those movies and you know what they deserve the Academy Award nomination that they will get for this movie I will be quite surprised if they don't a lot of there was a lot of thought that went into uh, the musical score and I uh, read an article Read an interview that uh, Trent Reznor gave with somebody, and he was talking about how they, he, they would, the, uh, him, and Atticus Finch, or Atticus, I'm saying Atticus Finch, I might mean Atticus Ross. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think Atticus Finch. That's that's To Kill a Mockingbird. I think it's Atticus Ross. i going to say
0: that that's Gregory Peck. Yeah, could, yeah, it's uh, Atticus. It's Atticus
1: Ross. Well, uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross would spend hours talking to Fincher about the the, mood, the tone and the mood and what they wanted to convey with each scene and what kind of sounds and noises. And Fincher basically told him, and I'm paraphrasing what Reznor said in this interview, that Fincher told him to make something that seems fine on the outside, but is rotting and is dying on the inside, which is basically kind of what this movie is. It has... A cool sleekness to it, on the surface. But as the movie goes on, you know, you start seeing the the nasty, gross, the gory part of relationships, of of controlling relationships. It's really, really good movie. I went into more detail about that stuff because, for the most part, I agree with everything that Matt said. Uh, not quite too much though with Neil Patrick Harris's character. Really, the only negatives that I have with this movie which I cannot tell if it was done on purpose or if it is technically a fault. During the movie, I thought it was a fault of the movie, but after it, I was second-guessing myself because of what happens throughout the movie. I, I thought that some of it at the beginning was a little overwritten, overdirected, and I thought there was, there was somewhat of like a forced agenda. Like it was honest that there was some misdirection going on and that's all i will say it's not a spoiler really i mean it's a mystery i mean there's misdirection in every mystery uh but i just thought there was it was just a little bit forced at the beginning of this movie and i can't tell if that's the emotion they were wanting me to have or if it wasn't so definitely worth a second a third a fuck it this is gonna be added to my blu-ray collection for sure um, this one, because I don't know the direction, uh, what the direction exactly was for the audience, I was kind of going between 4.5 and 4.75. Uh, I think I'm going to stick with 4.75.
0: I love it when we agree. <laughs> Makes the math so much easier. All right. Uh, <laughs> let's see. So that brings us now to the horror film portion of our film segment.
3: Why do i make this type of film why do i make films that are so cruel and disquieting i must say i often ask myself the same question because my imagination isn't all like that as far as i'm concerned dario argento is in a whole different category than other horror directors it's hard not to like you know it's hard not to to like the colors and to, get,
2: and, and to get drawn into his atmosphere is almost like you're being pulled into a painting. Mario's you know, movies are like uh, bad dreams. You know, his movies have a very dreamlike quality
3: and uh, they're, they don't follow the rules of, of real life. I like to laugh, to joke, to listen to music. So why do I do it? I don't know, perhaps because it's the darker side of myself. The monster that's inside me, sometimes it's nearer the surface and it emerges and takes over all my other thoughts, my normal and more relaxed lifestyle. Sometimes I do have these strange ideas which disturb me and even frighten me, thoughts that come from deep down inside me.
2: Susie, do you know anything about me?
3: And again,
0: we are doing the uh, films of Dario Argento. We've got uh, Tenebrae, Deep Red, and *Suspiria*. Now, where do you want to start first, sir?
1: Let's go in a chronological order and start with Deep Red.
3: You're getting closer and closer to the most unnatural kind of death. Ah! 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 Beyond shock. What was that? Beyond horror into total terror. Ah! Murder runs wild blood runs cold, deep red. The conjecture is that an act of bloodshed was once committed in that house. What is it? Didn't you hear that? No, what was it? I don't know. Everywhere you look. Everywhere you turn, (laughs) death is running with you.
0: This is kind of a sub-genre of horror. It's Italian noir, basically. But it is rather slasher-esque in its violence and in the style of the killings and everything. So it would fit under the umbrella of horror. And is from 1975. Again, directed by Dario Argento. Um has a whole bunch of people in here that you more than likely have not ever heard of. This one, this particular music, 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 good Lord. This particular <laughs> movie, it follows a music teacher who's trying to basically uh, investigate and solve a murder of, uh, of a, uh, of a chick that he, he basically witnesses the murder happen and all of the wonderful who done it from there on that happens with people dropping like flies until the very twists and turns that reveal who done it and how did it really go down um of the three movies that we watched of his this is definitely um my least favorite That's not to say that it's not a good movie and that it doesn't have its merits because it does. Um, but I really feel like you could see the progression of Argento as a director by going, by, by going this route and by watching them in this particular order. I actually did not watch them in this particular order, but, um, I would recommend that if you're gonna get his movies start going in chronological order. Uh, he has a very interesting way of having characters interact and using those interactions to do more than just push the story forward he's he has a very neat way of developing characters not so that he can pull the rug out on you but so that you can actually see them doing things in more than one way, which leads to additional guesswork without cheating you by the end of the film. That being said, this is still pretty rough. Um, it's got a lot of the tropes of 70s movie making overall. But acting was pretty solid, and I gotta give this one a three. I liked it not not uh nothing nothing to write home about but i did like it and would be a pretty good introduction into italian uh film especially of this era tim what do you think sir
1: okay so before i start my review of deep red i want to read a little bit he was one of the directors that i studied in uh in film when i took uh uh, my one of many film courses back in college uh, it's from our textbook entitled A Short History of the Movies written by Gerald Mast and Bruce K. You know, I never knew this guy's last name because the quality used book sticker always covered his last name. Like, everywhere, in every page. Ah, Bruce F. Cowen. And it's just a brief little blurb here after they talk about Sergio Leone. It says this. Dario Argento is Italy's contemporary master of horror. Surrealistic, lushly colored, full of bold camera movements and naggingly serial music, usually by Goblin. Unsettling, suspenseful, moody, shocking, and gory, Argento's cult hits have much in common with Antonioni's sense of mystery and Bertolucci's operatic visions of conspiracy and perverse evil. They also reflect the influence of the Italian horror films of Mario Bava, which Mario Bava uh, directed one of the anthology movies that we covered last year, which we both thoroughly enjoyed and that's another one where we know uh, where we noted his use of color and visuals to create a entrancing like uh story. But it goes on to say that like Mario Bava, Dario Argento was a great within the giallo genre in giallo like matt said earlier is the italian uh, style of of murder mystery horror not just in filmmaking but also in writing as well it's a style of right or genre of writing italy it's the italy's version of film noir inspired by a series of mystery novels with yellow giallo covers comparable to france's série noir with an emphasis on slashers and a respect for American pulp fiction from the 1920s to the 1950s. After several more giallo thrillers, Argento pushed the camera and his imagination to new extremes and made his most disturbing, beautiful, and uniquely terrifying pictures. Deep Red from 1975 and Suspiria from 1977. That paragraph right there summarizes Argento in many aspects his style of filmmaking he got his start um, working with uh, Bernardo Bertolucci on creating the story and the script of Once Upon a Time in the West with Sergio Leone and then soon after Once Upon a Time in the West opened in 1969 he went off and started his first giallo movie called The Bird with the Crystal Plumage which came out in 1970, The Cat o Nine Tells, and uh, Four Flies on Gray Velvet, and so on, up until the movie that we're talking about now, Deep Red, in 1975. It was until now where he really... I mean, he always experienced or experimented in color and uh, trying to play with people's emotions, not just by relying on characters or storytelling or even dialogue on a script. He wanted to transform the movie going experience into say maybe like an art experience and you'll see what i'm about to say a lot in suspiria more so in suspiria but it really starts in deep red for example his use of blood blood it looks like it looks like red paint even the gore i mean the gore you, you hardly ever see the aftermath i mean you do see aftermath uh, once in a while But it's never gross for gross sake. The movie is violent, and you do people see uh, knives piercing skin, heads getting cut off. But it's never done in a graphic way, again, for graphic gore's sake. It's done very artistically. There's just something about it. You got the whole look. You got the colors. You got the goblin music, the, the the funky rock synthetic going on in the background. That just adds something to the movie. So you have a mixture of all these things. And that's what really kicked it off, Deep Red was. That was his first collaboration with Goblin. This was his first non-Giallo genre movie. Uh, and this was really his first step into more so horror, in a way. And like what Matt said, this is kind of a subgenre. And We actually had a big conversation before the show, during pre-show, of whether or not this movie was horror or not. And I said that, well, a lot of people consider Silence of the Lambs to be a horror movie, not just necessarily a good crime thriller you you hear it more you hear it uh, talked about more so in the category of horror than anything else and i think this movie it's in the same boat with silence of the lambs or vice versa and it's really good it's well acted um you definitely got the adr going on the dialogue dub over which i'll talk more about that uh during suspiria since there's an interesting story that goes along with it and the movie is just fascinating it's interesting. You know, it's it's mystic. And I love it. I just love it. Now whereas Suspiria to me is like the feeling of dread that you get from watching, say, like Evil Dead, to me, Deep Red is more like the subtle, sinister feeling. It's intoxicating. So yeah, Deep Red, 1975, I give this one 4.25 always enjoyed this one
0: so then moving forward chronologically which i know that tim was kind of bouncing back on uh, forth a little bit on already but uh nice segue into it we have 1977's suspiria
3: it's useless to try and explain it to you
2: you wouldn't understand it all seems so absurd
0: One is an actual horror film of, of all three movies. This there is definitely no ifs, ands, or buts. This would be a horror flick. It it's, um, covers uh, basically the story of a of a ballet student named Susie who is put into a very interesting dance school that is not what it seems to be. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I ne- necessarily want to say more than that about it. This one, however, is very creepy. Lots of atmosphere. And definitely fits the... I honestly think that this one's up there with like the original Halloween uh, movies. The original um, Friday the 13th in terms of actual suspense really trying to fit a narrative uh younger people not necessarily kids but definitely younger adults um in peril and then clearly evil forces behind it all so for me i and i think this is something honestly i think that other movies could learn from this one i uh, that being said Not having watched this any earlier than now, you can see a lot of the. You can you can definitely see some flaws in the filmmaking, but again, you already see the moving forward and the progression of Dario Argento uh, as as a director. I think he was able to tell a better story here, and I grant granted again, it's a different genre per se, but. Even still, I think that he was able to get a better narrative pulled from the writing here. I like what he was doing with the actors and the actresses. And I think that the violence especially is thoroughly off-putting. There's some pretty good gore early on in the film that if you're not ready for it or not a fan of horror, you'll probably want to cover your eyes good thing I'm a fan of horror. Not anywhere near as much as Tim is, but uh, definitely good thing I'm a fan of horror, because I could see how that might bother some people. Um, But, even given how short the movie is, it's just a little over an hour and a half, I don't know, I kind of felt like getting to the end, especially once you've kind of figured out, not necessarily what exactly the bad thing is but you've already established who the bad people are and that they're up to no good so let's just go ahead and get to what they truly are i really felt like it kind of drags and it's literally like the back 20 minutes of the film not quite the last third but definitely the back 20 minutes now i think that they make up for it in the last five minutes of the movie holy crap right but it's just I really think that they either could have done something different. I don't know that that's necessarily a combination of the writing and the direction or maybe just the way that the story was written. Um, but I just felt like it dragged. That being said, still a good horror movie, better than deep red for me. three and a half stars. and I know Tim said he was gonna talk about it, but just as a uh, as a kind of you know, disclaimer or whatever even with the dialogue stuff where they're doing the dubbing and, and everything like that movies of this era for me, I completely overlooked that just because of the age of the film and the time I don't expect. And I don't mean it in a derogatory way, but I, I don't expect that the films made for an Italian audience 40 years ago were in anywhere in the same Thought of good or bad by the American studio system in the same league, so the fact that they just did dubbing doesn't bother me at all. You know, I'm, I'm you know, as, as far as I'm concerned, in a lot of cases, that's more bad on the American studio system for not exposing Americans to better cinema than they could have. So, yeah, three and a half stars for me. The movie is
1: definitely dubbed. You can definitely. Tell, but one of the main reasons why they, uh, the the his movies are dubbed, is because you'll notice that there are not only Italian actors in the film, but there is a heavy American presence and uh, an English British presence in some of his films as well. This is according to the lovely cult actress Jessica Harper, which I'll talk about more in a little bit. She said, "In this is within the 25th anniversary DVD collection." Which, unless, hopefully, I really do hope Criterion Collection releases a Blu-ray box set of Dario Argento films. Because he defi- his movies definitely deserve the Criterion treatment. But the reason why the audio is recorded this way is because you have the Americans, speaking in, you know, speaking English... And then you have the Italians speaking in Italian because there are well-known American, there's one particular well-known American actress in this film. And so, of course, the Italians are going to speak in their dialect and the Americans are going to speak in their dialect or in their language. And a great story of Dario Argento's is that he was so upset that people in Italy couldn't hear Jessica Harper's acting because they had to bring in an italian woman to to dub over her voice in italian because he just had he loved the softness the sweetness the kind of you know at times uh, maybe towards the end of the movie the spunkiness of jessica harper and he just kind of had a had an infatuation with her but uh, yeah that's kind of the story behind the whole adr uh, additional dialogue recording reasoning there but suspiria i'll make it short Five stars for me. Love this movie. It's hard to beat. I mean, this is a superb work of gothic beauty, which is shot in what I think is glorious white screen. Uh, he, you got his use of lighting, his use of color, shadows, a uh, placement of the music throughout the film. It becomes a powerful tool. All of those things, and like what I said about uh, with Deep Red, where he uses all those elements, which trumps the storytelling and the characterizations that pertains to this movie so much more loud music the music is loud but it works it evokes an emotion the the music it's like with uh I, hell i can even uh in a way compare this to a uh, trent Reznor's uh, score with gone Girl. actually all trent Reznor's score if you listen to it the song might sound uh, sound like, uh, you know, the, the segment or the scene before, but there are these small little details, especially with the scene with the maggots. They add these little sharp notes throughout that at some points are, are quite subtle, depending on the instrument, and it just really sends like a chill up your spine. It's cool. It's fun. I, I love it. Completely love it. And the movie, again, is just hauntingly beautiful, and it's refreshing and unique, and unpredictable there are just so many elements to this film five stars every i love everything from the look of it the characters the story how the movie is presented and again cult favorite from movies like shock treatment and phantom of the paradise which is another great cult movie from the 70s lovely jessica harper what else can you ask for suspiria five stars for me
0: all right that leaves us with...
3: Tenebrae. I've read all your books, Mr. Neal. The book deals with a murder committed with an old-fashioned open razor, right? This girl, too, was killed with a razor. And your book's pages stuffed into her mouth. Can I ask you something? Jesus! i the oh. little spy.
0: 1982, return to the gialle <laughs> giallo, whatever it is, uh, style. This one is definitely more back Giole? Giole, you're Definitely gonna. I'm sorry, Giole, Thank you, giallo style of um, filmmaking. This is really more or less a thriller. Again, you're back to a thriller. It's got a lot. It's got, I think, heavier slasher um, aspects to it, but. I this one I have a hard time, and this was kind of what started our discussion. I have a really hard time saying it's a straight-up horror movie. But there are definitely slasher film elements to this and uh, great thriller aspects to it, especially for the time. And you can definitely see, again, clear progression in this one. And while Suspiria is definitely a good, solid horror film, and clearly uh, Tim is enthralled with it I felt this particular movie really showcased Argento's work and growth as a director and making a really good film from the actual get-go you are seeing a movie that literally could have been a solid four-star flick, uh, horror flick horror-style, thriller-style flick in the States without question I think this movie uh, and styles of this movie have been rehashed and rehashed since 82 when this originally came out now I was able to see this on Amazon Prime, but this is just the, it's just the edited cut. It's a 91 minute version. There's still a 101 minute director's cut and then the original cut is 110 minutes. So good good lord, who knows what we're missing out of the other 20 minutes because this movie is really really good and it has a lot it's interesting because it has a lot to say about the way people thought about certain lifestyles and it has a lot to say about the way people viewed sex then um and really discusses these things to a to an interesting degree and satirizes them as well it's this is there's a lot of stuff going on in this film i think that in terms of the acting um the acting is really for me the only thing that keeps this movie from being a five-star movie because it seems to me that the that the actors overall just seem to be trying too hard um even still the way that argento gets these characters to come alive on the screen to behave that the way they do is much more credit to him than a detriment to the actors themselves actors and actresses themselves who aren't bad i just kind of felt like everybody seemed to be overdoing it i thought the writing was pretty smart for this one Definitely you get that uneasy feeling of some kind of weird stuff happening and everything. And that's definitely meant to keep you wondering and kind of keep that intense feeling in your chest. And I think that that is definitely something that is missing more or less from Deep Red and is much more present but easier to do given that it's straight horror and Suspiria. But I really—it's just so smartly done here in Tenebrae. It's—and I don't want to say anything more than that. It's—but it, other than I guess I should tell you, <laughs> it follows the exploits of a an author who has published a novel dealing with murders, and someone is using his books uh, and murders out of there to commit murders, and now. Peter Neal, the author, has to figure out what's going on. Um, Yeah, I I don't know. I, I really like this one. And for me, this one is a four and a half star movie. My favorite of the three. And I really like the things that it has to say. Let, let me rephrase that. I don't agree with the things that it has to say. In terms of how it treats certain levels of sexuality and, and the behavior of certain people. But I like, especially in the tone and the, for its time, the way that it's told. And it really makes you think about a lot of things um, that you wouldn't expect from a movie of this style or from this time. So, four and a half stars for me. Tim, bring us home, sir.
1: Funny thing, this is actually the least favorite of mine but it's a really good movie four star movie for me he you can tell that he was really itching to get back to the giallo genre of filmmaking i gotta say i think maybe one of the best things about this movie at, by the end of it you are completely satisfied i mean there is one kick-ass kill shot at the end of this movie where right when it happens during the aftermath you're like wow i am glad i watched this i mean just to me that that ending scene is worth watching this movie now i mean obviously there is more to this movie that makes it so good pacing really good storytelling i get more a lot of elements to this movie it works for a really nice cleaner but very rewarding movie of dario Genovs. so four stars for me
0: awesome awesome. All right. So, the movies for next week are going to be The Judge. So, we'll be seeing that one in the theater. And then of course, uh we we did a little bit of back and forth on this and culled from several different IMDb top horror lists and came up with the following three movies that neither one of us have ever seen and are definitely considered good but kind of off most people's radar in terms of horror repulsion from 1962 don't look now from 1973 and the loved ones from 2012 and i guess that does bring us to the end of yet another wonderful episode of the sls cast and time once again for the spiel spiel on all right well with the exception of the horror music which is brought to us by The Escalation and Echoes of Time, courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. All the other music that you hear is, of course, brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash cries of solace as for us of course we are always the sls cast and you can find us at slscast.com you can send us an email to the show at slscast.com you can even follow us on twitter at the sls cast you can follow me matt on twitter at one two three four five you can follow the yellow brick road and find tim if you want through the internets and see if you can follow him on twitter as well You can also go to Facebook and search the SLS cast there. You can even subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. But until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Tom Sizemore, I get to say this. I know that 20 years from now, if anyone asks me one question, it will be, what was it like to be in Saving Private Ryan? Talk to you
1: next week.